hour number two of Canuck Central. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We're in the Kintech studio. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. If you missed the first hour of the show, well, you missed Elias Patterson. Exclusive conversation here on Canuck Central. Joined us uh, from All-Star Game festivities in florida they're doing media day there today tomorrow will be the skills competition and Patterson joined us uh to discuss some of the things ongoing for him his season so far the bo horvat trade and uh his thoughts on potentially becoming the next captain of the vancouver canucks and what his long-term future looks like in vancouver so check that out on the podcast and uh, a lot to dissect out of that we also had John Garrett on the first hour of the show as well um, Patterson you know for as as much as uh, he's getting a bit of a um, uh, well there's been a lot of reaction that uh, was a non-committal answer of sorts on the future of the captaincy uh, one thing that I've always sort of admired about Patterson is he doesn't really BS you too much. Like he, he doesn't, um, maybe he doesn't always give the most uh, long answers, but, you know, if, if he doesn't want to answer something, he just won't answer it, or he'll give you a, a straight answer. He doesn't tend to uh, BS you all that much, Sad. No, for the most part, he, he just gives you a pretty straight answer. And yep. I, I think... He, you got to be careful what you read into what Pedersen wants to say, what he says, or how he answers questions because he's generally stoic. And also with how he's talked about how things have been taken out of context in the past, so I think he's extra guarded as well. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Let's bring in our next guest. It is prospect analyst Chris Peters joining us now on uh, Canucks Central and uh, has been getting ready and will be doing uh, some uh, – analysis as we get closer and closer to the deadline but the first big prospect has been moved and is coming to vancouver it is atu ratu we'll get his take on that thanks for this chris how are you i'm doing well guys good to be with you thanks for having me yeah i always appreciate you making time for us uh your your take on atu ratu the prospect yeah you know i mean i think uh he's he's an interesting prospect. I mean, you know, he's, he's kind of had a very weird development arc and is a, is a great example of how development is not always linear and you have to kind of ride the wave sometimes. And, and certainly, you know, he picked a, a kind of a bad year to not play very well, uh, which was his draft year. I mean, you go back and coming into that season, a lot of us had him pegged as, you know, a, a, a challenger to be the number one pick. Um, and that, didn't really materialize. Then he falls all the way to the second round. And, you know, I think the big thing that we were concerned about in his draft year was what, what if he just peaked too early? What if, what if what we saw in his, you know, U 17 season when he was making, uh, uh, you know, Finland as a, as an underager and different things that he was doing that, uh, um, you know, for, for the, at the world juniors and then, you know, gets cut from that team in his draft year. And you know, do we just, did he just peak too soon? And he was just ahead of his peers, but, what we learned in the subsequent years and certainly even this year as he's moved to North America is that, you know, he, he kind of had to figure things out and he did at the professional level. He averaged over a point per game after he was moved to Eucharist in, uh, in, in the Liga. And as a, as a result, 
um, you know, he's he put himself right back on track to be a top-tier prospect and look like a, a guy that should have gone in the first round um, in his draft year. So uh, just really interesting to follow. But I think since he's been in North America, you know, he's gotten some opportunities with the – or he got some opportunities with the Islanders before the trade. He's done decently well in the, in the AHL, hasn't necessarily set the world on fire. But I think for a 20-year-old player in his first season in North America – handling himself very well. So, you know, in a trade like that, you hope you get a top tier prospect and, and, you know, certainly getting the first round draft pick. And I'd, I'd still say that the first round draft pick is the more valuable of the two assets, but I do think, or of the three assets, but I think, uh, you know, when we're talking about Ratu, he's, he's one of those guys that, you know, he, he looks like he belongs now and, and he looks like he's on the path to becoming an everyday NHLer. How much of an impact he makes ultimately is going to be, um, kind of to be determined here, but I think it was a really nice pull as he was really, you know, the Islanders have a very thin prospect pool and he was, you know, probably their de facto number one prospect um, at this time. So now he's uh, into a system that, that needs some depth, that needs some help. And, you know, I think this is a, a good move for the future of the franchise. And if he's going to reach his potential in in terms of being perhaps a second line center that's a two way player, I think he needs that developmental time. And you're right, from everything I've heard talking to people, he's shown some good progress this season. But the indication is perhaps he needs a little bit more time as well to to really hone in on those skills. Because I think if he does become the player that maybe he was envisioned being heading into his draft year, and perhaps some of the potential he's shown then I don't think he's going to be a loud hockey player, right, Chris? Like, yes, you know, he's going to win battles, he's big, but he's going to be one of those guys that does the little things well consistently in the right spot, helping facilitate the play through the neutral zone and and just consistently helping support the play in the right direction and and being responsible defensively. So I I don't think he's going to be a loud hockey player, but if he hones in on all those things, that can be a really effective player. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've kind of like labeled him in my own terminology as a B prospect, which to me is a player that, you know, is going to be an everyday NHLer, you know, surefire everyday NHLer, and then has the opportunity to grow into a top six impact player. But it's just, you know, definitely there's more to be learned. I think for him, the the, the key is just going to be continuing to develop his all-around game. I think he always had a very mature game. He always played very smart. I, I've always liked his hockey sense. I thought that he reads the game very well. You know, I never really concerned – I was never, I think there were times in his draft year where I was a little concerned about, you know, the, his compete level and different things that, that he did. But, you know, and certainly, you know, I'm sure that there's been a lot of talk about his skating as well. It's never really been a huge weakness to me. Um, you know, it's certainly, I think it's probably part of what keeps him from being, you know, that top of the line kind of player. Um, but, you know, you're looking for a guy that's going to be in your lineup every, every night and a guy that's going to give you effective shifts and a guy that, you know, potentially is going to provide some scoring depth. Like, I don't think he's not going to be a top line scorer, but he is going to score, you know, he's going to have an opportunity. He's got, he's got a really good shot. You know, he, he, when he gets in the space and he has a, has a good look, he's going to make it count. And then on top of that, you know, I think that he's got the frame and, you know, just the awareness to, to be a two way presence, you know, not just a, a one way guy. So, uh, not just, you know, all offense. And I think you know, in these last couple of years as a professional, we've really start, started to see him, you know, take those steps in, in being a more well-rounded, more complete player. Um, you know, you, and you go back to the Summer World Juniors, too. I mean, he had 10 points in seven games at that World Junior Championship for a team that won the silver medal. Um, and that was, the, that was the moment where it said, okay, well, what he did in Liga, it certainly wasn't a fluke. What, what, you know, going as, as a point-per-game guy once he did get moved, 
that wasn't a mistake. And and then we got to see him be a top line producer at the world junior level. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot to like about his game and there's a lot to, you know, knowing that he's going to continue to develop now is, is big. I think the only kind of downside to him at this point is that you know, the Islanders did end up burning that year off of his entry level contract by playing him in 12 games. And so, but, but I think that actually gives the Canucks some flexibility I do think that Abbotsford is the right place for him for the bulk of the rest of this season, but there's nothing that says they can't uh, call him up and give him an opportunity to get some looks in the lineup, especially after the trade deadline, you know, when things are kind of going in a different way. But I think the most important thing for him is to make sure that he's playing in the role that he's going to play in or, or that they envision him in at the NHL level, whether he's a center or a wing still kind of remains to be remains to be seen. I think he has the brain to be a center. Um, it's just, you know, do the, do the feet come with it? And does he have, you know, enough of a, a puck carrying and play driving kind of element to him that, that will make him be a more effective center? But, I mean, I, I still think, you know, to me it's a low-risk bet on a player um, as part of that overall package. You just, meant, Sorry, go on. Go ahead, Zat. No, go ahead, Dan. I have a different question. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, I was just going to ask, uh, Chris Peters joining us here on, uh, on Canuck Central. Um, the first round draft choice uh, from 12 to 16 is what it could potentially be this year. Of course, uh, you know, there's a home run play for next year as a higher lottery choice, Chris. But you know, if, if it does land in that 12 to 16 range, like how, how valuable is that in your eyes? Um, I think it's I think it's got some significant value to it. I, I think that you're just outside of the tier at that point where you're really going to land like a high level impact prospect from this class. I think we talked a lot about the top of the class. The top four is exceptional. You know, the next wave is pretty good. And then, you know, as you get further outside of the top 10, it's closer to an average draft where it's, you know, it's just like what we would normally see at the 12 to 15 to 16 range. So, I mean, in the end, the expectation when you're picking in that range is to land an everyday NHL player, to land a guy that has got the potential to at least be part of, you know, a top six, top four situation. It's going to be prime range for one of the defensemen in this draft. It's not a very deep draft among defensemen, but in that 12 to 16 range, you're still probably going to get maybe one of the top two or three defensemen in the class, which could carry a lot of value as well. Or, you know, you, you could go in a different direction and see if any of those higher impact forwards like a Braden Yeager or any of them kind of drop into that range because of this or that. But, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a high potential to land a player that you expect will be, you know, a, a, top, a, a, a guy that's closer to the top of your, your prospect pool. Now, as the Canucks go at this point, that's not exactly saying a whole lot, but it is important to rebuild that elements of their team. They, they need to replenish the farm system. They've had a lot of guys graduate pretty quickly to the NHL roster. Um, they've had some guys take steps back as well. So, you know, you're, you're just trying to find, find a, find a guy there that you, you feel is going to really be a significant contributor down the road. And I think in that range, it's very likely to happen. And then if it moves to next year, I, I think there's a lot of excitement about what next year's draft could look like as well. So 
So plenty, I think plenty of good options available with that first first round pick they got from New York. You know, that's what I'm really curious curious about here with the draft, because we oftentimes see centers and defensemen rise. And you're right, like from everything that we hear and, and we see from this draft, the defensemen, you know, it's not really a heavy draft. Is there a chance that between now and, you know, we still have, what, four, and, four, and four months to go by the time we get to the draft, that one of these defensemen puts themselves into that top 12, 15 range even? Oh, yeah, I think it's absolutely possible. And I think, you know, it, it really only takes one team that, that feels mm. like they've, they've got a better handle on that, on that, on those defensemen to, to take them early. You know, I, I think that there's, it's becoming more likely at this point that one of, you know, Axel Sandin Pelica, David Reinbacher, um, you know, those type of players will go somewhere in that, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15. Um, and, and I think both of those guys, they have ceilings that, you know, if everything goes right, you might be getting a top four, possibly even a top pairing defenseman. Um, you know, I think Reinbacher is in particular has some special qualities to his game and he's having a tremendous season in Switzerland. Um, we didn't really get a chance to see the full, full uh, complement of his abilities in, um, in the world juniors, but I, I still really like, you know, where he's heading. And then Axel Sandin Pelica came out of nowhere to be the top defenseman for Sweden at that event and, and really, uh, you know, really accelerated his draft stock. So, I do think that there is a strong likelihood that you're going to be able to get one of those two players, or maybe it's a Mikhail Gulayev um, or Dmitry Simashev or some, somebody in that range. If you're really, you know, stretching for a defenseman and you want it, you know, I think that that's going to be a very fair and easy range to find one of those top guys from this class. You know, we, we, see so much about uh Connor Bedard and obviously there's uh you know the, the the hype train that's followed him we know uh Fantilli is is pretty good and so is Leo Carlson but it, it seems like uh Mitchkoff lately has has starting to get some of that hype again um what do you see happening with Mitchkoff um given his situation how how far could he drop given he is one of the the biggest talents but with the most question marks from a uh, how do we get him over here sort of question yeah you know I think based on the teams that are bad right now you know like there are a number of teams that need more immediate help and there are still a few of those teams like a Columbus or somebody like that that you know has a foundation kind of built or has a core that they feel they can move forward with and I think that I have a very hard time believing that he's going to fall outside of that top 10 range um, but it's possible that, you know, if, if, if you get a guy like that at, say, seven or eight, you got to be thrilled. Because, quite frankly, like, I never – my the only reason for, for Mitch Cobb, for me, to drop is because of the very important reasons of we don't – you know, we don't have the full understanding of what's going to happen with Russia in the coming years. We, we know he's under contract with one of the top clubs. Um, but in terms of pure ability – you know, I don't think there's anybody in this class that matches him in hockey sense. He is the most creative player, and that includes that includes Connor Bedard. I mean, Connor Bedard has has better physical attributes than Matvey Mitchkov does at this point. But the way that Mitchkov thinks the game and thinks offense is at a level that I've never seen at a player that age, and that goes back to when he was 16 years old and 15 years old when we were seeing him play up a level in in some of these events and the, and the numbers that he was putting up. He's struggled a little bit with the physical elements of the professional game, but as we've seen in these last few weeks, he is continuing to accelerate his ability in, in the KHL level, getting the ice time he needs to make an impact 
on, you know, on a team where he doesn't necessarily have to compete with some of the best of the best in the KHL for that ice time, because even at his age and at his size, you know, if you're a professional coach, you're still going to lean on your more experienced players. Well, Sochi doesn't necessarily have that luxury. They need goals and he's going to, he, he can score them for them. So to me, uh, you know, it's, it's an ongoing conversation, but I think that um, most teams that I've talked to, they say, if we're in a, if we're in a range that, you know, I don't think, I don't think he'll be one of the first three picks. He could be, but I don't think that'll happen necessarily. But um, you know, I, I don't think he's going to fall much further than like seven or eight, you know, if, and that's, that seems aggressive to me because I do think the gap between him and the next players that would be available there is pretty significant. Uh, Chris, before we let you go, uh, we be, we would be remiss not asking you about Connor Bedard because, you know, it's a Connor Bedard show this year and he was in the Calgary Saddle Dome and had everybody, uh, you know, at the edge of their seat with his talent and he does that everywhere, it seems. Is there any sense that the hype is getting too much with him or is every bit of the hype worth it? I I would say it, the, the, it's, tough to, it's tough to really quantify because we were having a lot of conversations at the top prospects game with me and you know some of the other prospect people and and scouts as well you know in terms of you know we've we've talked a lot about generational talent um and to me the generational talent is Connor mcdavid and then everybody else um but with Connor bedard what he is is he is a a a unique he, he is a unique talent he is a special player he is worth the hype because what he's doing right now in the whl has not been seen in over 30 years. And, and that's a league where we've seen, we've been grown accustomed to those big seasons. Somebody's going to break, you know, break out and have an, a massive year. Nobody really at his age, you know, he scored 50 last year and, as a draft minus one. And now in his draft year, he's on, he's on pace to just shatter everything that we, we thought was possible for him. You throw in that historic World Junior Championship and then everything, and, and then you have these moments like we had the Battle Dome last night where he is exceptional on every level. There is a packed crowd. His team isn't the greatest, but he wills them to a victory, you know, and, and, and scores the big goals. Um, the funny thing is, is that he didn't score in the gold medal game and he didn't score in the top prospects game. But does, does that really matter? Absolutely not. Nobody cares because he, he is this special talent. And I think that the, the conversation has certainly moved away from does anybody have a chance to catch him to – you know, where does he rank among the most recent draft picks? And, you know, I, I think that, you know, in terms of his overall impact, I don't think he's going to be able to have a McDavid level impact at the NHL. I just, I just think that McDavid is too unique and, and does too many things better. Um, but the one thing that I do, like, you know, what if, what if Connor Bedard's career is, is, is comparable to Steven Samkos or somebody like that or Patrick Kane? that's still a hall of fame player, you know, like, I mean, we're, you know, so even if it's not McDavid level, he's still going to be exceptional. So I, I think we're looking at, you know, one of definitely one of the best prospects that we've seen in the last decade and a guy that I think that, that is going to have a remarkable career um, as long as he stays healthy, no reason to think that he's, he's not going to produce at an extremely high level in the NHL. Chris, we uh, always appreciate the time and the insights. Thanks so much for this. My pleasure guys. Thanks for having me. There is uh, Chris Peters. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris M. Peters. And he is a senior content creator at Flow Hockey, NHL Draft, and Prospects Analyst and the host of the Talking Hockey Sense podcast and joins us regularly here on Sportsnet 
650. Uh, interesting take. Uh, not the, the kind of take we've heard uh, often about uh, Connor Bedard, who um, most people say is just going to be the greatest hockey player that ever lived. Yeah, I mean, you... <laughs> There are flaws, right? I mean, like every player has some flaws. He's not the biggest yes. player. And, you know, as fast as he is, it's not like he's going to be the fastest, best skater we've ever seen as well. So it's like, you know, there are things he's going to have to overcome and it's going to get harder for him. And he's an incredible talent and he could end up being the best player in the National Hockey League after Connor McDavid. Like all those things are possible. And that's why he's going to be such a high draft pick. His release is, is completely generational. The way he shoots the puck is, I don't care what size he is, he's going to score a lot of goals with how he plays. But is he going to be that guy, that guy people truly expect him to be? I think it's a fair question. And we watched him in the World Juniors. He was still electrifying, and there was no reason not to believe that. But at the same time, like it's, it's not like he's he's not going to have some growing pains, you know. Like you know, it, it might take a couple of years for him to really get to the level that people expect him to get to. I feel like Mitchkoff is sort of becoming um, one of the more intriguing prospects, maybe from a Canucks perspective, because this team may very well be drafting in that six, seven, eight range. Sat. <laughs> And so that player all of a sudden becomes super interesting for a team that could see one of the more arguably, you know, like the next best talent in this draft after Bedard falling to that range of of the first round. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't know if there's going to be a player here. I mean, not not to unseat Connor Bedard, but I just think in general, like looking at those top two to three, like three picks, I don't know. I I don't see too much changing. You know what I mean? Like I I don't think much is going to change in that top two, three. Like I think the top three, like Leo Carlson especially, I think that's going to be solidified. Even though we have four months to go, the biggest question I have is, do we see a defenseman move up here? Do we see something like that get into that that top ten range? Because I think for Vancouver, it's super interesting for them to maybe have the inside edge on the top defenseman with the Islanders pick if they get it this year. But is that even going to be possible? Uh, we'll see how it all plays out and continue to do uh, more prospect analysis as we get closer to the draft. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. So we've talked a lot about how, well, this management group hasn't done enough to really change this team. And yet, they've been one of the more active, if not the most active team from a trade perspective in this season. We'll discuss that next on Canuck Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Big Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.